0: We're sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no
1: paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get Get it it for for free free in the the App App Store. Store.
0: Hey there, a little announcement here at the top of the episode. We've got a very special
1: thing. Yeah, our lesbian of the season is up and
0: running. Please, please vote. We need we need that content. Yes, you can find the link to the poll uh, either on our website, wisteriagays.com, on our homepage, or in the link in bio for any of our social medias. Go vote. Oh, bada bing, bada boom. Those were high hats. Oh, I loved it. We're here. We're queer. It's part two of the season two finale, baby. Oh,
1: it seems like just yesterday we were recording part one. (laughs) Because
0: it was. What? (laughs) I'm sorry to break the illusion. (laughs) But we've got to talk about these episodes. We couldn't let it go. We had to discuss. We had to. And you know what else feels like only yesterday? What? It was May 2020. And we were starting this freaking podcast. Season one, episode one. And now we're about to go into season three i am i have goosebumps I, I got a little
1: boozy gum i am i think it's so wild how we have been able to complete not
0: one but two whole two seasons, seasons of desperate housewives when we first started this we were like it's gonna take us a thousand years to get through this show but we're trucking we are and i'm loving every second of me it. me too oh This is Wisteria Gaze, I should say. Yes. I now realize we might not have said that (laughs) on the first part. My name is Ned. My name is Mackenzie. And we watch and discuss every episode of Desperate Housewives. Oh, do we? And guess what? What? We're freaking gay. (laughs) I actually don't have any top of show notes for this episode because it's the exact same as last episode because it was basically written as one giant Two-hour television event. So all the top of episode things, the international, the Sondheim watch, all that's the exact same. Are you ready to die? Oh, I got my straw. It's like like a
1: sodi pop. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: I don't know what I thought was happening. I was like, oh, you're diving with a straw in your mouth now. Or like <laughs> maybe a straw bathing suit. Like a like straw a scarecrow. Like, to
1: suck the air in. So I go scuba diving.
0: It's a little scuba dooba. Yeah, I, I like that as well. I like that, that phrase scuba dooba. I do like when I say phrases that don't exist, like bonkers bananas or, or <laughs> scuba dooba. I, I like seeing you silently laugh to yourself. Uh, it just it makes me feel really validated <laughs> that I said a funny thing. Well, I
1: love it, and I can't wait to see what you come up with in the future.
0: God, who knows what this what this genius brain <laughs> will, will create, you know? So, can I just say, up top, mm-hmm. you watch on Hulu, don't you? Yes. They did a previously on, and it was just, like, the entire last episode. And I thought, did they do a previously on when it aired? Like, was there a commercial break? The second episode was about to begin, and they did a previously on the last hour you just watched. They might not have, because I know sometimes they just don't,
1: I don't know, I I feel like sometimes they don't do that on TV, or no, they they exclusively do that on TV.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just thought it would be very funny if you just got done watching an episode, and you're like, all right, pop some more popcorn, we got episode two, and it's like, previously, everything you've just watched already-
1: just in case you this forgot or you miss. missed the
0: first part. Exactly. Maybe. But another thing right at the top, we don't even get a cold open. No. Previously on, and then bada bing, bada boom, full opening credits. Oh, Tasty.
1: I had slime coming out of my eyes. I was
0: Slimy so happy. My eyes, crunching bones, cheeks and clapping, and <laughs> I can't even speak words anymore because I was so excited that we got the full opening credits. Yeah.
1: And after the opening credits, we go back five years and we're at the pharmacy. And oh boy, are we at the pharmacy (laughs) with Brie. And Rex and Danielle in the background being being a scene kid. She had a goth phase. I loved it.
0: I think I would have liked Danielle more as a character. I say liked as if she's not still on this show. But she but I think I would like her more as a character if she was a goth, I think.
1: I would love her if she was a goth. You don't even have to change anything about what she's been doing. Just slap yeah. on
0: some black eyeliner <laughs> and I'm I'm in. Just let her be a goth queen yes i think that'd be very funny for brie to have a goth child that'd be the dichotomy her kids are gay and goth yeah the two g's the two g's of my life
1: but we see in this flashback Bree's not gonna let her child be goth because she's buying no. hair dye to dye her hair back right away because danielle <sighs> dyed it black
0: she's goth phobic she
1: she is goth phobic <sighs>
0: That's so upsetting. I think that's something we really need to address in the world is goth phobia.
1: Yeah. I'm going to show her some pictures of bats later.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You have to do like exposure therapy to make her really love goths. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play some AFI. I don't know. (laughs) But what we mostly see is that Rex is just, once again, as I said last episode, these flashbacks are just kind of laying it on thick to help relate to the current scenarios of these people. And it is mostly Rex telling her that she has got to relinquish some control of the kids, let them grow up, let them make mistakes, or she's going to regret it because she will lose them totally if she doesn't let them have a little bit of freedom, which I think has proved to be very true
1: and she says that she's just trying to make sure that the kids turn into reasonable adults but she's doing it in the worst way possible yeah and then we see our the most lovable character i would say in all of desperate housewives we see george williams behind that counter
0: i'm glad roger bart got a check yeah way to go king But other than that, I never want to see George again.
1: No, no, no. But we we are like like I said in the previous episode. We're getting the hits with uh, the top heads, yeah. With guest stars coming back, mm-hmm. and then we cut to present day. Bree is tied down to her bed, and a janitor comes in the room, and Bree is trying to get him to untie him, but he's like, "I'm gonna get fired if I do that." And she tries to lie and and goad him into, you know, letting her go. And then he just
0: flips the fuck out. It says some gross, gross, grody, gross shit to her. Yeah. I, I I didn't even write it all down. I just was, like, kind of taken aback by how um, pretty gross this guy was. Um, I don't think that someone who feels this way about patience... Uh, should work around them mm-hmm. I think that maybe he should not be working at this establishment but it's one of those things where weirdly like Bree probably views him as the bottom of the totem pole right but in scenarios like that she has lost all of her power and he mm-hmm. does have the power in the situation so it was kind of this it was really upsetting for me to hear but it was this sort of illustration of she has lost any power she might have had in this yeah. scenario Like, she's very powerless here. It makes me... It's scary. It sucks. I'm worried for her. So, unfortunately, Brie does not get free. Did you notice, as we cut, how much Nissan product placement was in this episode? I did not. At least three times, including this next scene, it cuts directly into the Nissan logo on the car of the person in the scene. Oh my and god! And just is like holds it on that Nissan and then pulls out. And it did it like at least three or four times in the episode. And I was like, "Wow, Nissan was like, we're gonna, we're gonna get the big bucks. Every car on Wisteria Lane is a Nissan. They spent more money than Lime Diet Coke. <laughs> exactly. Lime Diet Coke got dethroned by Nissans. Mm-hmm. If this was a Subaru, I would say let's make the episode. Same but, uh, here." Alas, it is just a Nissan Sentra, because we see Mike uh, is watching Julie and Susan moving things into Carl's car, I believe, right? Yeah. They're, like, packing things up into Carl's car, because right at the moment, we realize they are going to accept the house, even though Susan kind of left us thinking she might not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike finds out that they're moving through Susan, and he gets hangy. Rightfully so. I mean... Yeah. It, it it's it's a big shock especially when and Mike brings it up I thought you said you didn't want any handouts I thought you were going to go at it on your own and yeah god Carl is there of course they got to have their little pissing contest and so Carl comes out mentions the ring and Carl's just like I'm just protecting my family that's just what I'm doing I'm giving them a home and I'm protecting them
0: and Mike's like, no, you're taking advantage of it because you you saw what I was gonna do, and then you moved in, and ba 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 and then the men just start beating the shit out of each other. Mhm. They start like,
1: oh my god, they start fighting, and then Susan comes in, so, like smacking them with a spatula <laughs> yes. to try to get them to stop.
0: What well, was that about a ring? Did I hear a ring get mentioned? Or <laughs> like Susan, stay out of it. <laughs> <laughs> And then like the fight kind of ends with Mike just getting Carl right in his gob. And weirdly, the ladies run to Carl's aid Mm -hmm. and Mikey Poo is left alone to look very sexy and brooding as he kind of saunters back to his home. And Julie and Susan care for Carl because he's Mm -hmm. a whiny little bitch because he can start a fight. But he can't end it, can he? Oh,
1: fuck. You're (laughs) ruthless. I'm going to kick his ass. (laughs) I've said it once. I'll say it a million times. I want to see you do it. We then cut to the Solis household. We have Gabby and Xiaomei folding some laundry. And Gabby comes in trying to get her to talk, bringing up once again the, you know, you said you would kill him. Why did you say that? And Xiaomei's not saying anything. And then Gabby picks up some underwear and she says, "Why are your panties ripped?" Jaime,
0: I freaked out. I was we find out later that spoiler alert Jaime and Carlos are obviously having sex. We found out later that it seems pretty consensual, but I was really worried it was not when we saw these oh. ripped panties. I guess I just my brain went to a worse place uh in terms of cuz i was like i don't know at least when i have sex with people i'm like am i don't ruin my panties we're doing this you don't have to rip it off of me yeah. uh, but i i was just worried it was a worse uh thing when i saw this initially i was very scared okay.
1: Yeah, I don't think I thought that just because some of the interactions we've seen between Xiaomei and Carlos before. So I was just like, it was probably just weird passion. The unbridled passion between Xiaomi and Carlos. Oh, God. But yeah, that's kind of how we end that scene. It's very quick.
0: Weirdly, yeah.
1: And then we cut to another quick scene. It is Zack failing at skipping some rocks. Frickin' (laughs) loser. He gets a phone call from or does he get the phone call from his dad or he calls his dad
0: i think that he's talking that lawyer for a second and then paul calls him i'm assuming yeah. paul used as like his call of the day i'm not necessarily sure how things in prisons work but mm-hmm. yeah i think paul calls him
1: yeah the lawyer says he needs to sign some legal documents and zach kind of brushes him off for a second because he gets that call and he tells his dad that noah wouldn't give him the money and paul's like okay well are am i gonna see you today no i can't today and i can't really next week Uh, how about i call you when i'm free
0: i don't hate this i don't either
1: i love it (laughs) i mean he did kill a man but honestly take that money (laughs) run
0: i mean like Noah was a shitty person we were Mm -hmm. at least being given the implication that like he is a bad man, and maybe got his money through bad means. uh Based on some of the things where he's like, "Mike, I've lived a bad life. I want to do this one thing," and blah blah blah. All of Noah's weird monologues he's had over the last two seasons, and I mean, Zach is going to inherit his entire empire as the sole person to have that, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. um I don't, I don't hate this. I'm not a Zach stan, but like take that money, run, leave your shitty dad who killed your mom. Yeah. You know, bail, little King. <laughs> I, I love it,
1: honestly. And that's the last we see of Zach.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. For the rest of the season, huh? Mm-hmm. Wild.
1: For the rest of the series until
0: season seven. Ooh, I don't know. Prediction. He's just gone. I don't know. <laughs> and then we cut to Susan and Mike Susan's knocking on Mike's door because she wants to check in on him. And he mentions very, very like small mention that he chipped his tooth during the fight. And she gives him Orson's number, which becomes important later. She's like, oh, this is my dentist friend. But outside of that little kind of little interaction that sets up a moment later, I actually really liked this scene because I I find that Mike is completely valid in this scene.
1: Yeah, he is very wary of getting into another relationship with Susan because he tells her that she's still wrapped around his finger. And, like, he doesn't say this, but you can tell he just does not want to get his heart broken again. Yeah, Because the deeper he goes into that, if she is still, like, very involved with Carl, he's just going to get hurt. And you you can really tell that by the way he's playing the scene.
0: Yeah, and I think that so far, though Susan may not want to admit it, she has shown that time and time again, she will choose Carl. And I'm sure it's because there's these residual feelings, maybe not romantic, but like to be married to someone, you have to be their friend, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and she was married to him for a long time. So there's this base level relationship combined with the fact that he's always going to be in her life because he's Julie's father. I just feel like there's a lot there and that she has shown that she chooses his side quite often. And, it makes total sense for Mike not to want to be the rebound. The, the, Mm -hmm. it makes sense that he thinks that there needs to be better boundaries between her and her ex before he wants to get involved in something. And I think that's a super mature thing to ask for. And I think that Mike talked about it in a mature way that absolutely made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I think it shows because we see that Susan really understood that. And I'm actually really happy about Susan later in the episode as well. Like I really, I just love it all. I really love the maturity that this relationship is taking in this season finale. I
1: think it's I think it's a nice place to set up especially for season four. Yes. Three. Three. Oh my god. That
0: far along. I skipped I skipped. (laughs) Who needs season three? We just go right to four. Is everybody?
1: We then cut to a a very strange scene with Matthew and Danielle. We talked about this last episode, but the show is trying to make us think that Matthew is going to hurt Danielle in some way. When to us the audience he is supposedly in love with her yeah and this scene is essentially danielle complaining about not having any money because she's hungry and she told him that they should have just broken into her mom's safe because she knows the combination Mm -hmm. but matthew thinks it's too risky and yeah there's just like ominous music underneath everything and he keeps looking off into the distance very ominously
0: yeah, it just, just doesn't kind of, make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just kind of there to to be there, I guess, and to just sort of set up what they will do later, which I'm curious, do we ever see why they decide to in fact go? Because no. this is the last we see it, and then spoiler alert, they will end up going to the safe. So I'm curious where those conversations changed. I would have liked to maybe see that, um, yeah. but we don't because we have to cut to Mike and Orson. What a duo.
1: What a duo. Orson's fixing up Mike's mouth. <laughs> and <laughs> right. oh, Orson Mike fanfiction.
0: Orson Mike. Okay.
1: Mike really thinks that he knows Orson from somewhere. He just he really feels like he knows his face. And Orson keeps denying it. He's like, no, no, no. I I did a residency in, in Minnesota. And Mike's like, well, that's not what you're like certificate says your certification
0: yeah orson's being very shifty here because he also points out that he is familiar with how prison dentistry works and so i'm curious if the show is trying to indicate for us that maybe mike and orson know each other from prison that seemed to be what the show was like at least i felt like the show was maybe trying to maybe be like um he's not a you know, sweet white collar dentist. Like you think he is. He Mm. did time. Like I, I I couldn't tell if that's what the show was trying to hint at is that maybe Mike recognizes him from, from doing time in prison. So that maybe Orson has a shadier past quote unquote. That's not necessarily how I feel about that, but uh, you know, a a different past than maybe we are assuming he has. That was what I was getting from this scene just because Orson was being kind of shifty and, um, Elusive to Mike's comments and questions.
1: Yeah. And then we cut to Gabby on the phone. Oh, because
0: it's a flashback. It's a
1: flashback. I I remember at first I didn't catch that it was a flashback, so I
0: was very confused. I think they didn't put X years ago. They've been putting the amount of years, and they did not for this scene for some reason. Yeah. Which is why I was
1: so confused. (laughs) She's fighting with Carlos on the phone. And I didn't catch
0: what it was quite about. It was just like she mentioned Tanaka's name. She was mm-hmm. like, Oh, Tanaka's making you work all these late nights, blah, blah, blah. It's basically all of season one fights, uh, but in a conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. And when she hangs up, she's looking around and she sees John Tucker outside. It's been a million years. It's been a million bajillion years. And he's in the garage. She follows him and he's like, Mrs. Solis, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm gonna give you the best day of your life. And then she, like, closes the garage. We find out he was a virgin. Woof. (laughs) That makes it it like so extra woof with him like being in love in love with her in season 1. Yeah,
0: like we didn't I don't know if we had that information before, but I mean, you get you get attached to your first. You get attached to the first person you kiss, the first person you have sex with like it, you it, it, that's what happens. And So now yeah, I think it does uh contextualize his emotions in season 1 in a lot in a lot different light. Mm-hmm. Um that sentence didn't make sense, but I still stand by it. But uh, <laughs> I, yes, that was interesting. I, I thought it was a kind of fun, um, self-aware joke, him mentioning Justin and him both competing to lose their virginities when at this time Justin was not out as far as we're aware so it is kind of a little like wink wink uh, as most of these flashbacks have been so I found that to be cute but uh, I was sort of floored I was like oh my god she took his virginity wow
1: but she says it's only this is only going to be a one-time thing because she was just mad with Carlos and now she's not mad anymore and John Tucker kind of asks like how do you know he won't be mad or like he's not sleeping with somebody else and Gabby says for Carlos, it's not just about sex. It's about intimacy in sex. This
0: monologue was too long. It was. It was the, once again, just laying it on so fucking thick. I trust him to never cheat on me. Never, ever. He just couldn't. He's incapable of it, especially not with gorgeous young maids named Zhao May. He could never do that. <laughs> like, I'm surprised it wasn't that specific. That's how thick this was being laid on. I could not believe it. And then at
1: the end of the scene, she decides to have sex with him again. And we go back to the present. Gabby is going to use baby monitors to try to catch Carlos and Jaume, uh cheating.
0: It's pretty smart, actually. It really is. We love an intuitive queen.
1: <laughs> but when she's in her car trying to listen in, because she says she goes inside the house. and She's like, I'm going to the mall and the store. I'm going to be gone for at least three hours <laughs> bye <laughs> yeah and then uh when she's in her car instead of picking up any uh thing from the house she picks up interference from the scavo household
0: yes and then she moves a little bit further and is able to hear a little bit of Jaime and carlos talking and at first it sounds sexual and she thinks she's got them but then she realizes uh, Jaime just made mushu pork and that he's just eating at d- lunch Mm-hmm. and so she's at this point not able to catch them in the act though she thought she did but it was just the mush it was the, the the i would have even if i was her i would have thought this was a little weird because the way it was like oh no i'm so dirty from this mushu pork it like sounded like a porn scene was happening uh so i, I wouldn't have taken that as just uh, Guess nothing's happening. I I, I would have absolutely been like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, it's like, Gabby, just listen for 10 more seconds.
0: They probably (laughs) fucked immediately after eating the pork.
1: And then we cut to Susan in the RV once again with Julie. And she sent Mike a letter. And she's waiting for him to get it and see it. And when he does see it, it is an invitation to meet her at the RV at like a romantic... uh for a nice dinner date
0: i love this me too it was so cute i just i it made me feel fuzzy inside i was so happy and mike's like oh okay yes (laughs) i will meet you for this day he gives her a little thumbs up and a nod it was cute you could tell he was really charmed by it and i feel like I feel like you know sometimes guys are expected to do in very heteronormative couples guys are expected to do the gestures and so I think it's very cute that Susan is putting forward this big gesture and I think it's her way of saying like I want in this I want to do this I want to do this right and I just love it I love it yeah I never gave a shit now I love them what is going (laughs) on
1: it's the power of love The power of true love dude and then we cut back in time again to Lynette and Tom
0: lynette has just given birth to penny and they're debating baby names and nothing super important happens in that part where they're just sort of she's holding over the fact that she went through eight hours of labor so she is allowed to name the baby
1: yes and tom mentions you know that's okay i'll name the next one and lynette says um excuse me you wanted four kids i wanted one kid we compromised with four not a
0: compromise
1: well she says it like she knows it's not a compromise she's yeah. like stop making me have
0: kids can't she just take birth control like, what like yeah. just don't have sex with them I don't understand I don't understand why uh, she is acting like it is completely out of her control to have children when you know she could get an abortion she could go on birth control she could she has options I don't understand why she's acting like she's just like getting impregnated and can do nothing about it It's very confusing also why is tom so fucking obsessed with having like a thousand children he's
1: probably just a guy who wants a huge family like there are people who every time like there there's a a, a family on youtube i won't name names but uh every single time this guy's wife gives birth she's pregnant again like two months later that's
0: horrifying to me. Yeah, they have like, like five not or for six cats. But for me, like I cannot yes. imagine that. Oh my god. I can really handle two cats.
1: It's it's like the thing where people I don't it, I don't think Tom's doing this, but some people have that mindset where it's like you can only
0: have sex if you're having babies. I knew someone that was like that cuz I went to Catholic school. Mm. Uh, and I I won't name names, but I went to Catholic school and we had a a, a woman who worked at the school who was like that like and and like you only have sex to for procreational purposes and she was also similarly like pregnant like every time she had a baby she was like immediately pregnant again and i remember one time we had to do a sex ed thing and it was abstinence they were just teaching us abstinence it wasn't even sex ed and her husband came in ned he walked in and like I was sitting with my group of gays because we were the gay people at Catholic school. And all of us were like, he's gay. Oh my God. <laughs> like, he was so gay. Like like we, we just clocked him immediately. We were like, Oh, I bet this is a perfect scenario. He's like, I have sex once every 10 months. Yeah. Sign me up. Uh, so, you know, I, every time I think about that style of birth control, if you will, I I think about, <laughs> the very gay husband of this woman that i that i was taught by oh my god he's like you have to be abstinent okay and we were like okay sir
1: i'm abstinent i got my abstinence club shirt (laughs) i'm I'm in the abstinence club baby like john tucker (laughs) yes and danielle yes and then we cut to present day we are meeting nora for the first time Nora is here. Uh Tom asks where Kayla is, and she says, Oh, she didn't come. I had a big fight with
0: her. So <laughs> that is ridiculous. Yes. Like the whole purpose of that trip was for Tom and Lynette to meet Tom's daughter. Mm-hmm. Has Tom not even met her yet? I think I think he has, but I think he wants Lynette to meet her with him. Okay. Oh man. It just I think it is just showing Nora's immaturity as a mother. You know, I've talked a lot about how I grew up with a single mom and how I was a lot like the parent in my relationship. So this kind of reminded me of my mother in her younger days. Something she would absolutely say is like, we got into a fight as if we're friends and not a parental child unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this was a immediate red flag for me from Nora.
1: Yeah. And then we cut immediately to all of them at a diner. And Nora wants to talk about child support, and she's thinking about getting the 11 years worth that uh, Tom wasn't there for me and Kayla. She just starts yelling (laughs) to get what she wants, and
0: Lynette's not going to take that. Oh, Nora does not know what she is getting into with Lynette Scavo. No, she does not. She's a girl boss. Let's the episode for Lynette being a a a badass girl boss this whole episode I feel like yes holding her ground kicking Nora's ass emotionally I loved this I think Lynette is very valid for this whole episode in my opinion her being like he did not know this child existed because Tom is the kind of person who would have been there if he had known you know what I mean yeah he might not have ever ever married Lynette when you think about it if he'd met Nora before he might have just been a dad and been with Nora like we might never have had the scavos as we know them now but he would have been there for a kid I think had he known about her I think that is just the kind of guy he is but Tom is a fucking wet noodle
1: he really is he's just like oh I'm gonna go pay for the meal
0: Nora clearly has a lot of power over him because she can pull the I raised your kid card like whenever she wants, and he is just putting his tail between his legs and taking it. So Lynette's got it. I mean, if he didn't have Lynette, this he'd be fucked.
1: Oh, yeah, like Lynette really comes through in this scene. Mm-hmm. She, she literally says, I'm not gonna take this sitting down. If you want to raise your voice, I can raise my voice
0: too. I loved it. I loved it too. I mean, it's Lynette, she's she's dealing i'm not calling nora a child but like she has to use methods that you would deal with like uh, you know a t- like a, someone who's immature i think and i think the net knows how to deal with that lynette is not gonna fucking take it mm-hmm. i'm loving this lynette i loved lynette this whole episode
1: and then we cut to susan and carl mm-hmm. i liked this scene me too I thought it was very toned down in a way that I I, I think this episode really needed. I think it needed a tonal shift. Yeah. And it was was very nice and it was very refreshing because Susan and Carl are kind of sitting on, like, this couch in the remains of her house. And she tells him that they're not going to get back together. She doesn't care what he thinks. She's going to marry Mike. I loved
0: this for Susan. Yeah. I liked that it felt like she was putting her foot down. She was... Saying what she needed to say to get the things she wants I will say I'm worried I'm gonna Eat my words the second we start season Three because this has happened before where we're like We're proud of Susan and then the next episode She's completely different but Mm -hmm. I am proud of her in this episode because I think that Mike saying that To her made her Realize you know what you're right I do need to make Some boundaries and some shifts if I Want the person I want which is Mike And she says she's gonna uh, propose To Mike
1: yeah I Love that (laughs) So she brings forth the divorce papers, and she's like, "Please, just sign them, please." And he does, which I am so glad that Carl, it, like this is getting through Carl's thick, thick head. You know, he 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 does sign the papers, and I think he genuinely is going to move on.
0: At least I hope. No, I get the feeling that it felt so toned down and so chill and so mature. And it read to me as if the writers wanna wanna bed this story. It seems mm-hmm. to me like the writers are shifting to like really ramping up Mike and Susan and that they really want to put Carl to, to rest. Because I feel like Carl and Susan have had kind of an up and down, will they won't they, for a for a decent amount of time. So I think oh, yeah. it did feel to me as if they were finally putting this to rest, it seems.
1: And yeah, that's pretty much it for that scene. Mm-hmm. Then we go back to the Scabo household. It's probably night because they're both in bed. They're mm-hmm. looking over all of their finances and they cannot afford to give her 11 years worth of child support. No, Lynette wants to give her $30,000, which she says is a big chunk of their savings. So $30,000 is not even all of their savings.
0: No, because she also mentions they might have to dip into their pension as well so that they don't have to take from the college fund for the kids. Mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 wild and i don't know if uh other people know how like child support works but i you know i got child support growing up because my mom was a single mom and it was my mom also had to take my dad to court in order to get some uh back pay and so that he would pay a certain point and it's basically like a percentage of your yearly income that's taken out per paycheck Is basically what that is. So think about what, like, a like Tom makes a decent amount of money, right? He's a marketing exec, and so like, say it's like ten percent of his income each. That's just it builds up to be a lot of money because Lynette even mentions that thirty thousand is is a isn't even um like what they would have to pay if she wins is more Mm. than thirty thousand. So like, it's just. Yeah, I. that's so much money, and it's not, even, it's not even completely what she could possibly get if she's able to take them to court, which is wild to me. Yeah. But Tom starts to have a meltdown, and Lynette is like, just chill out. I'm here. We're going to figure this out, and I need you to not have a meltdown so that we can indeed figure this out. And once again, I don't know what Tom would do if Lynette wasn't here.
1: He would be just, like you said earlier, he would just be a wet noodle man. He's a wet noodle who- man. Yeah, he'd probably just be laying on the floor somewhere. Yes,
0: <laughs> which same king. Yes, that's also what I would do.
1: Let's then revisit Bree. She is in her therapist's office, mm-hmm. playing with his little rake and sand, and she says, "You know what? You're right. I have so many issues, and I need to talk about them. I need to talk about my kids." Pocket sand. <laughs> yeah truly as soon as she starts like getting into it she takes the little uh sand um i don't know what it's called it's like a zen garden i think is what it's yeah. called maybe Am okay I,
0: I, I, I could absolutely be wrong i'm not quite sure
1: i i'm just gonna call it a little sand garden that sand she, garden she takes it and yeah she does exactly what you just said she throws all the sand not in the his sand. face and he goes ah. And I love this Lote nominee. Low
0: nominee for her throwing sand. Sand in a man's face. I love that. <laughs> I accept that. I will say I, I was excited by the pocket sand and I completely uh, jumped over a part that I did find really interesting. When I do feel like she opened up a little bit when he said, if your children were here right now, what would you say to them? And she, uh, what, what moved me was her saying about, about Andrew. She would beg for his forgiveness for giving up on him i i that is giving me a lot of hope that maybe we will start season three searching for andrew because i think that it only took her one episode to realize oh i did i did the bad thing i need to take this back somehow
1: she she did the thing and she went oh i really do love you
0: so much still yeah so i really liked that moment uh, Mm -hmm. of what i felt like was was honesty that she had yeah on there
1: And on Bree's way out, uh, on her escape, (laughs) she runs into Orson again. They make some eye contact. She hides from some orderlies, and Orson just kind of
0: gives her a a slight smile, and she leaves. Yeah, and I think she notes that that he he sees it happening, and he lets her go because he knows what she needs to do. He like they're in on it. It was nice. I did like it too. It was cool. I, I didn't hate it. Yes. I did not hate it. I Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting moment. I think he is very taken with her uh, in a way that he was like into her breaking out of mm-hmm. the psych ward weirdly. Borson. Borson? Ori. Ori. Or is it Borson? Like with an R. Borson. Borson. Oh, okay. If anyone knows what Brie and Orson's ship name is, let us know. Brieson? Breesons Breesons nice. And then we cut to the ladies Sansbury uh just snacking in the afternoon, I guess, and Susan has told them about the proposal idea and they're just kind of asking questions about what's what's tonight going to be, you know, your big proposal, your big moment. And that's not the important part of the scene because what is important is that Penny cuz they're at the Scavo house, Penny's Oh my gosh, the baby, monitor. baby monitor. I couldn't even think of the name. Baby monitor picks up another frequency. And yes. Everyone in the room hears Jaime and Carlos having sex. Yeah,
1: and Lynette turns that off quick. <laughs> I
0: freaked oh. out. I fucking freaked.
1: We don't know that they were fucking in the car, but I I put it together. I was like, "Oh, they're probably in the car because Gabby had the the baby monitor in there." I
0: think he says something about a wheel. Like there was like a little mm. bit of a hint because I think that's oh. why Gabby runs immediately to the garage. Yeah, and she sees them ha- ha- boning down. That was a weirdly shot scene. Did you look at it? Carlos was like sitting in the passenger seat and Jaime was like had a open button up but then was doing this weird just like side kissing thing it was very weirdly shot weird. uh, it was just I was like it was very um, hilariously non-sexual to me <laughs> just in terms of like she was doing some weird poses it was a very strange uh, visual to, to witness
1: but Gabby goes inside to wait and when Xiaomei comes inside she's obviously <laughs> taken aback and I love how Gabby was like you done with my husband? Okay, I have a job. I shat she, a solid gold brick. Oh, God. She enlists Xiaomei into tossing out all of Carlos's clothes off of the balcony. And we we immediately cut to there and Carlos is outside just being like, listen, I'm sorry. You told me to go have an affair. What did you want me to do?
0: He's an idiot. I hate him. I hate him so much. The thing is... And as Gabby points out, there's a difference between going out and having meaningless sex with somebody, which I will note. Because I feel like I'm a total hypocrite when I think about the scenario because I am not as mad as Gabby as I am at Carlos, even though they mm-hmm. both cheated. We talked about this yes. offline. She had more than just meaningless sex with John, I think. Yeah. I think she had real feelings for him. He was a teenager. <laughs> I think there is a difference between... Go have meaningless sex with someone, Carlos, and have an affair with the woman who's carrying our baby. That feels yes. like a different level of fucked up. Also, to note, the first person he approached for meaningless sex was one of her best friends in the world, Lynette. Like, what the fuck, Carlos? <laughs> He's, like, the dumbest person in the world. Jesus Christ. This is just... I I don't like this Carlos Xiaomei storyline. It irks me out I don't like it there's a big power dynamic there not only from like the language barrier the fact that he employs her and the fact that she's carrying his child it's just gross
1: and there's gonna be a, there's a different power dynamic at play now because when they're done tossing everything out Xiaomei asks if she can leave and Gabby says no I'm keeping you in this house I pay you uh, if you don't do what I say I'm gonna make the next mi- nine months a living hell for you
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that Gabby wants that baby. I think that Mm -hmm. Gabby is like, the one thing she can take away from Carlos that will actually matter to him is that baby. And I think that she intends to do that. Yeah. Oh, It's just grody. But once, you know, I'm seeing that much like season one finale, they're setting up these plots for season three, right? We're setting Mm -hmm. up Mike and Susan. We're setting up maybe Brie and Orson plus Bree going to find her son. We're seeing the Scavos and Nora and so for Gabby it really feels like her storyline will be this break from Carlos and this relationship with Jaime and I'm 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 very curious where that's going to go.
1: Yeah, I am too. I, I mean like I hate this line and I do yeah. not want it to continue, but <laughs> it really feels like it's going to. Um, speaking of the Scavos, though, and setting up their plot for season three, we get exactly that in the next scene, because we find out that Nora took that $30,000, she signed the waiver to, uh, exempt, uh, Tom from any previous child support, but she took that money that they gave her and she bought a house five minutes away from where the Scavos live. So, if, uh, Lynette, you want Christmas to go smoothly, you better start being nice to me.
0: Nora was mind-numbingly irritating to me in this scene. I did not like her. Just the way she talks makes me want to rip my hair out of her. But like, well, Lynette, you know, you're kind of, you know, a little, and I was like, oh, I hate you so much. She is also, like, she's pulling
1: her child away. Without even having a conversation about it with with the kid. And I know, like, if if you're moving for jobs and stuff, kids don't really have a say in that. But you still need to have a conversation with your child being like, we're going to move or I'm thinking about moving to be closer to, like, your father and stuff.
0: Because, like, who's to say Kayla even wants that kind of relationship with her dad? she's the one who should be allowed to make the decisions here. That That's something that I, I sorry that, that so much of my personal experience, I feel like fits into the storyline, but that was something my mom always let me approach. Like what kind of relationship do I want to have with my dad? And I always got to go at my pace and it, I was never forced to have a relationship with him or not. Like it was, I got to make decisions and I feel like Kayla, though we have not seen her, she's not being led into the decisions about her relationship with her own dad. And that just feels really bad. I just don't like Nora. Nora feels like such a, opportunistic, annoying person. I don't like her. Mm -hmm. But I did love the line that Lynette said when she said, as the mother of 80% of Tom's children. I thought that was a very funny line.
1: (laughs) It was. God, because Nora keeps saying, he's the father of my child, completely disregarding any life that he has or have had. Like, I mean, he has had uh, Mm -hmm. with Lynette. She just doesn't care about Lynette. And I think... The reason Nora is moving is because she wants more a relationship with Tom rather than she wants her daughter to have a relationship with him. It's
0: selfish. It is. Oh, Nora meet my blade challenge. <laughs> I want Lynette to kick her ass.
1: Oh, she's going to.
0: Thank God. That's the season three storyline is Lynette kicking Nora's ass.
1: Mm-hmm. And Tom is still just sitting there like a wet noodle. He,
0: like, didn't have a line in the scene. He just sat there mm-hmm. looking flabbergasted.
1: Then we get Susan setting up dinner. She's got, like, really beautiful lights all set up. I and she's that. wearing a, a cute dress.
0: We love to see it.
1: Oh, we do.
0: And Mike is also leaving. He's getting his little truck. He's getting ready to mm-hmm. go to this date night. And a red car. Mysteriously follows him. I wonder I wonder who's in that car.
1: Hmm, it must be Noah. No, wait, it can't be Noah, because Noah's dead. Oh. Hmm. Mm. Maybe it's Edie.
0: I oh, maybe it's Edie and she's gonna crash the date. Mm-hmm.
1: Or maybe
0: Now I know we haven't I know the show hasn't visited this storyline in a long time. But do you remember those mysterious women that wore the hats <gasps> and the sunglasses?
1: yes i
0: do it's been so long it's probably that yeah they were maybe doing a really slow burn where they just didn't bring that storyline up for a long time and then they were gonna bring mm-hmm. back the mystery women
1: i think that's what it is
0: i think i'm right we'll have to, we'll have to see how it plays out
1: the the person was in in enshrouded in, in just in darkness. And, and that really feels like those women.
0: Yeah. And, you know, normally when we saw those women, we saw Gabby immediately afterwards. So we'll have to mm-hmm. see when we see Gabby next and connect that with the mystery driver.
1: Yeah. Or, or one time we saw Susan.
0: You're right. So we'll
1: have to see. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. But for now, we go back to Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel. I mean, it was close. Daniel's kind of <laughs> close
0: to Daniel. Yeah. It's just a couple letters off
1: mm-hmm danielle and matthew they are at the vandekamp household going to break into the safe and danielle finds out that her mother changed the lock so matthew says i'll brb be i'll go home real quick
0: ttyl
1: mm-hmm. he goes home to pick up a sledgehammer and betty is there
0: this is an intense scene
1: it really is
0: i the whole time i was watching this scene i thought this is a really interesting scene it's really well written they're acting really well and because of how good their performances were in this scene for me and how interesting i was how interesting i found this scene it was just another reminder of how i think how underused these characters were this season i was like wow this is really cool and dynamic and interesting mm-hmm. you were as characters very underused and underutilized in the story this season
1: yeah i agree it was so freaking intense she just lays everything out there Mm -hmm. she's like i know that you killed melanie that was your jacket the police showed me the picture and matthew starts talking about how well you've you've never loved me you've never loved me enough as you loved him
0: and i really thought Betty's line was sad and also so interesting when she said, you will always find love in this world and he won't, he will only get it from me, which isn't Mm -hmm. true. I think there, there are people that could, could and will love him, but I also understand where she's coming from, from this overprotective place and that she has only witnessed her son experiencing hardship. So I understand Mm -hmm. that it's like not even possible in her brain for him to experience not that, I fully, so I understand where Betty's coming from, but I thought that was a really moving and intense line of like, it is, it's a matter of like, I understand maybe feeling left out, but it is a matter of privilege. Like, you know, like Matthew, because you are, for all intents and purposes, like a normal quote unquote kid, you will have life a lot easier than your brother will. And Betty's just been aware of that. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. I understand matthew feeling sad about it but i also think betty is right to be like you have when you have a kid that has uh different needs you have to focus on those kids i just i don't know it's really complicated it was a really well-acted scene it was really interesting
1: matthew leaves betty calls the cops yes
0: which woof yeah my partner Rachel who doesn't watch this show really was just watching this part with me and I think that this next this next sequence as it comes to Matthew and Danielle is really hard to watch I think especially with where the world is right now and at least for me as as a white person obviously becoming more aware uh in the last like a year and a half two years three years about police brutality and specifically black lives being taken by police brutality my girlfriend was like as a black woman how would she not know Mm
1: -hmm. like calling
0: the police how would she not like my girlfriend thought that like some part of her knew what would happen by calling the police and that that was a choice but in my brain i'm like i think white people wrote this and we're not thinking about the optics of what it looks like for a black mother to be calling the cops on her black son It, Mm -hmm. it just feels very much like it was written through written from a white lens and obviously we are viewing this in a much different time in terms of how police brutality is shown on television but it was just like it was an interesting thing that I didn't think about, but that Rachel mentioned to me of like, how did she, how would she not have known as a black woman who's grown up in America, what would happen if she called the cops? It just feels very um, thoughtless. It would have made more sense for Brie to be the one to call the cops. And what she tries to do in this next scene, as you know, if we Mm -hmm. want to go into that.
1: Yeah. Uh, We can go into the next scene. I think I, I agree. Sorry for that. I think that is a, no, Please don't be sorry at all. I think that was a very interesting point, which is something that I also did not think about until you brought it up
0: right now. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Shout out to my awesome girlfriend. I just thought it was interesting. And also, I think it might be good to think about as we go forward, because the sequence is, is a lot to watch.
1: It's a lot. Yeah. We cut to the Vandekamp household. Matthew and Danielle get the money from the safe and start running. Brie walks through the door and... She does not let them leave. She is standing between them and the door. She keeps telling Danielle to like get out of the house, and she won't. And then Matthew pulls out a gun,
0: which I didn't even notice he had. And the previously on showed him grabbing it, and I don't, I didn't mm. remember that from the, the episode. We did not see it. Yeah, I feel like they added that in.
1: <laughs> they like, I think they, they did. retconned
0: that for sure.
1: But yeah, he pulls out a gun. And he's threatening to shoot Brie. Mm-hmm. Danielle does leave the house.
0: No, she doesn't. She backs up and she tries to plead with Matthew to not do this. Yeah. And Bree is like, do it, bitch. <laughs> I don't
1: care. She says, if shooting me is what it takes for my daughter to see who you really are, <sighs> then fine.
0: I mean, as far as Brie knows, he murdered a young woman she knows Mm. nothing about the nuances of the situation not saying that that girl should have died but she doesn't know she doesn't know what happened happened with that scenario and um
1: and to be completely honest i feel like even if brie did have that information her yeah her feelings would not necessarily change
0: no I don't I don't think that as a as a white republican woman I don't I, I agree with that in terms of how we, how she views Matthew I mean I, we haven't really mentioned it before but I think that it's impossible to um take away for like some of the storyline where she was very averse to Danielle's relationship with Matthew that the tinges mm-hmm. of racism that were a, a part of that were were ever present and I didn't really mention them at the time but I don't know it just feels like it's all kind of coming together in this in this scene with yeah, what they have done with one of the few black characters on the show,
1: and then right before Matthew is able to pull the trigger, there is a shot through the window, and Matthew dies.
0: Yeah, and Danielle runs into Bree's arms. The SWAT team lets themselves in. They just immediately came with a SWAT team. I mean, that's kind of all we get. As I think I've said a lot on it. I mean, I don't know if you have any feelings. You you need to. Digest about this. It just it was um it's weird because I feel like viewing it in this year is hard to see that because it is mm-hmm. so there that is just every fucking day in this country now. But I'm also like narratively in the show thinking about it in 2006. Like Bree would have died there. Like what what would have happened mm-hmm. if Bree died? Like I I don't see where else unless they had gotten they had been able to talk Matthew down I, I, I'm i yeah. like I'm curious what other directions the story could have taken like I, I don't know how they could have gotten out of this scenario without this ending which feels gross and bad mm-hmm. it's just int- it's just a lot to digest we can move on yeah unless you unless you have something I don't want to I don't want to completely monopolize the conversation and and, and also you know Listeners, like, we're always welcome to, you're always welcome to message us about how you feel about this as well. And there's a lot of awesome conversations going on in our Discord, and I hope that that's also a safe place people can talk about it. Because I think that out of all the harder things we've watched this show do, at least for 2021, this felt the hardest for me. I agree. So, hey, we're around. Talk to us. And then we cut to another deeply intense and deeply upsetting thing in a completely different way. More dramatically upsetting than real life upsetting. Kind of comically upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to go straight from that to this was like quite a quite a choice they made. Mike stops to go
1: get Susan some flowers, and the car is still following him. He leaves whatever store he was at, yeah. and as he's crossing the street, the car comes and just hits him, just full blown crashes into. The him. way
0: that was shot was was comical. The way his body it was. Like, ragdolled across the car
1: and driving away we see not any of the women because i guess they left i guess it was a different car yeah, yeah. that we saw earlier but it's orson who ran him over that was fucking wild how do
0: you feel about that
1: i did not see that coming i i truly i was like who is in that car and then i was like oh yeah that does kind of make sense that it was orson because mike was like i know you from somewhere
0: so what is orson hiding
1: I don't know, but I'm so fucking pumped to find out. That's
0: our season three mystery baby. Oh, not to not to spoil anything, but you know, this show does season by season mysteries and I am I'm, I'm getting the inkling that old Orson Hodge is our is our third season mystery. He's got something bubbling under the surface. I'm I'm deeply interested to find out. So am I. Oh. And is that the it's... last time we see Mike? Like we don't know if he's okay, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get Susan trying to call him and she leaves a voice message being like, I thought you were gonna come because you gave me a thumbs up and I feel really dumb now and, you know, I, I just don't know why you stood me up like
0: this. That makes me sad because she doesn't know. She's no way of knowing. Ugh. That broke my heart. She'll find
1: out soon. Yeah. It it broke my heart as well.
0: I hope he's okay. Like, jeez Louise. Mike is dead. Mike, the, uh, we just <laughs> start season three on a funeral. And then we go back to Wisteria Lane. Police lights. They're wheeling out Matthew's body. I also want to say, I just realized we normally do in memoriams, feels a little, I don't want to make light of this death, so I don't think no. that feels right, right, not to do that. I,
1: I w- was thinking the same thing. Uh, I don't think we should do, like, a, a a memoriam, because usually those are just, like, fun and, like, dumb things, and this is a very heavy death, yeah. and I don't want to make light of
0: that. I agree. I just, I'm glad we checked in on that and just wanted to let everyone else know that. I was like, oh, we should acknowledge that. Yeah. But Betty is there, Alfre Woodard giving us fucking acting. Once again, kind of gross to me that they made Betty responsible for her own son's death, technically. Mm-hmm. um, It's a lot. It's heavy. Alfre Woodard is crying, and this seems to be the end of the Applewhite story as far as we see it. Because we get the end of episode monologue.
1: We find out that, you know... There's going to be a lot of unexpected bumps in the road.
0: Mary Alice sort of talks about kind of bringing back the beginning of episode monologue from last episode. This is a street where she used to live and the people she loved and lived with. And we sort of get a series of flashbacks once again to all the different moving days. And Mary Alice talks about how all of the women brought with them to Wisteria Lane dreams for the future and hope for good lives and she said the trick to moving forward is letting go of any regrets that holds us back and just moving on into the future. And I think that's sort of an interesting way to end the season in terms of we see the moving days of all the ladies. And then we see Betty and Caleb moving out. Yeah. And we get one final scene before end of episode. It is
1: Brie outside uh, tending to her lawn and orson comes up and the way the season ends is she invites him inside for a drink or for coffee something like that
0: yeah like it was a sweet romantic gesture
1: and he brought roses
0: Mm -hmm. so all in a day's work you hit a man with your car and then you go on a date
1: it's kind of just like predate someone normal challenge but (laughs) i also think that i i'm interested to see that relationship i
0: really am i i am also if it
1: Turns into a relationship. Yeah, for sure.
0: I I think they're setting it up for sure. I am excited. And I I was about to ask you for any predictions, but I think we should save it for our season one or season two wrap up because that's when I want to hear all of your predictions that you might have for season three. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: hell yeah. Mackenzie. Yes. We got to name a load. We
0: got to name a load. It's the final load of the season. It's the biggest deal ever.
1: It is. And can I throw out? A wild card. Someone we didn't nominate during the episode. Okay, yeah, sure. Goth Danielle.
0: (gasps) How did we not nominate her during the episode?
1: We were just so focused on the robbed possibility of Goth Danielle (laughs) that we didn't even realize.
0: We didn't even realize. I'm going to say we began with a goth, if you remember. The goth receptionist. Yes. I I say we end on a goth. We bookend goths for lesbians of the episode.
1: Hell yeah. For this season. So the final lesbian of the episode is got Danielle. Danielle.
0: We love to see it. We did it.
1: We did it. We finished season two. I'm so proud of us. Whoa. Whoa. I can't believe it. Congratulations,
0: Mackenzie. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Oh, and thank you all for listening this far. Like it's. It's been so fun to share this show with you, and I am so excited to keep on keeping on and keep on working our way through this show.
1: Oh, season three is going to be hog wild. Hog,
0: hug, hug, hug wild. I am
1: very excited. And with that, I think this has been Wisteria
0: Gates. I think it has too. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at Wisteria Gaze or on Instagram at Wisteria Gaze underscore or of course on our website wisteriagaze.com. Woo!
1: And on that website, you can find some great
0: links like a link to our merch page, mm-hmm.
1: a link to our uh, Discord, Discord, and a link to our Patreon. Yes our patreon is great it helps support us it helps support the show and we just love every one of our patrons Yes. and if you subscribe you get some great perks like show notes ad free episodes occasional video content
0: our love and adoration
1: and episode shout outs so we're gonna take the next minute to shout out our patrons so thank you to aj
0: annie cheryl elise helena
1: live lydia Nadia, Sarah, Tom,
0: TK, Vincent. Thank you so much for being our patrons and supporting the show. Yes, you're the juiciest apples that have ever been plucked. I love you so much.
1: <laughs> and if you would like to be one of our patrons, you can go to our website or patreon.com slash wisteria gaze. Hell yeah.
0: Hey, hey. Hey. I love reviews.
1: Whoa! I'm the Review Goblin.
0: Oh, hello, Review Goblin.
1: Yes, and I just wanted to say that I love reviews because not only do they make yours and Ned's day, mm-hmm. but they also help
0: people find your show, so it's really great. It's really great, Review Goblin. Thank you.
1: Yes, I'm going to go now and hand it back over to Ned. Okay,
0: I was wondering what you did with them. <laughs> Oh, my God, I'm back. Oh, Ned, I was so worried about you. The Review Goblin was here. Did you don't. see them?
1: I, Unfortunately, I did.
0: Oh, my gosh. I don't want to so talk sorry. about it right now. I didn't realize you I'll talk you about too, it in passed. season three. Okay, in okay, three. okay we'll, we'll get into it in season three.
1: Um. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> reviews are great. Yes, they are. At the end of every episode, we like posing a question just to get those reduces flowing. Uh, and this week's question should be
0: what was your favorite moment of season two that was exactly what i was <gasps> thinking oh hell yeah yeah so let us know what you oh well what, what was your favorite moment of season two
1: my favorite part of season two was me losing my mind over the course of 24 episodes mm-hmm and honestly, the most I can remember is Edie and Roller Skates. I, I feel like I can't remember anything.
0: No, I have a terrible memory. And when we do a wrap up, I'm going to have to like go back to my notes and see what happened. Because I have a very bad memory.
1: What was your favorite moment of season
0: two? Oh, the first thing that came to my mind was all of the strap talk. Yeah. It was very fun. I, mm-hmm. I, I think my, fa- like, just collective favorite moments. I like all the inside jokes that we create kind of in the moment as we go. And, and the, the eight-strap Ida is one of my absolute favorites. But just spending time with you is just, like, my favorite part of the show. I love spending time with you, too. <laughs> so when you leave us a review, let us know what your favorite moment of uh, season two was, whether that be our podcast or the show Desperate Housewives, whatever you want.
1: Yeah. Other than that, you can find me Ned on any social media at Ned Jorts. You can find me Mackenzie at Mackenzie Wilkes. Mackenzie, hmm. Congratulations, and I love you so much. Congratulations, and I love you. Everyone else out there,
0: stay juicy. Stay juicy.